Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. Each week, a recovered alcoholic woman is interviewed and asked questions about certain topics surrounding her journey of recovery with your host, Stephanie Crawford. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and I am the host of this podcast, Recover Out Loud. And today on Recover Out Loud, I am super excited because we are going to have Hannah on for Recovered Interviews with Alcoholic Women. And Hannah has come super highly recommended. It's my first time meeting her, and so I'm so excited to be able to hear her story, and I'm sure she will live up to all of the wonderful things that I've heard. So if at any time you hear this and you feel inspired, please share with a friend or leave us a review, uh, rate us on Spotify, upload it to your Instagram stories, do everything you need to do so we can get uh, more experience, strength, and hope out to alcoholic men and women. So Hannah, if you don't mind, my first question is always if you could just give us some background information about yourself, what your alcoholism looked like, and what led you to a place to want to get sober. Of course, yes. My name is Hannah, and my sobriety date is October 5th of 2007. My story is different than some people's and and also not unique in so many ways because I was not an alcoholic the first time I drank so many people I know, that's their story. Mm-hmm. And I didn't cross that line in the sand till I'm guessing late 20s. Oh, wow. Yeah, like probably 28, 29. Uh, so I spent the majority of um, my 20s and, you know, late teens when I first picked up a drink, controlling and enjoying my drinking, which is, you know, the goal of every alcoholic. And then once I crossed that line in the sand, things went downhill quickly. Um, very quickly. It didn't take me long to get in a lot of trouble and refuse every helping hand along the way. Uh, and and it got so bad that, I, you know, I knew I wasn't going to stop and I couldn't stop. And I was accepting of my fate that I would just die like that. Relate to that. Yeah. It's, a, it, it, it's such a crazy messed up disease and um, you know, I don't have anything in my past that would be my quote-unquote trump card, which, as we all know, that doesn't really exist anyway because mm-hmm. that's not the disease, but that's what we think when we first come in. And, you know, my parents are still happily married. Uh, I think in June they'll be celebrating 60 years together. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm so lucky. I had a wonderful childhood. I have one sister that's eight years older than me that's always been my best friend, minus a few years where I was crazy. And I was surrounded by love. I wasn't surrounded by alcoholism. I'm the only one in my immediate family that that got lucky enough to have it. Do you have it in your extended family? I think so. Uh, You know, it isn't really talked about a whole lot, Mm -hmm. but the signs point to yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so I went downhill pretty quickly and I am someone that when I drink, I get in trouble. So, um, I'm a terrible criminal. So I, I've gone to jail a few times and I was still defiant even within that. I've spent hours and hours researching how I could get away with it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, because I thought I was smarter than everybody. So when you say research, does that mean you were like Googling? Yes. Nice. Yeah. Down the rabbit hole, forums, <laughs> and they like how to how to trick a UA and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I mean, hours on that stuff. And I did get away with it on occasion, uh, but of course it all caught up to me. And I went to jail for the last time, October 4th of 2007, and went in front of my judge. And I said to her, please just give me 30 days. Just give me 30 days to get my act together. And it wasn't 30 days so that I could 
actually get my act together. It was 30 days so I could manipulate and figure out how to keep doing what I need to do, Mm -hmm. which is drinking, and get away with it. And uh, she, this is uh, Judge Mays, who's just awesome. Um, I know that name. Yeah, well, she's a big fan of the Magdalene House. Okay, maybe that's how I know her name. And now she's a district court judge, so she's she's moving up in the world. But she um, she looked at me and just you know kind of had a grin on her face and was like, "Uh uh-uh. uh, <laughs> not going to give you thirty days." Uh, she knew exactly what I was up to, and so she said, "We're going to send you to Wilmer, which is the Dallas County Judicial Treatment Center in Wilmer, Texas, and that's a six month program. It is." basically jail but you get to wear your own clothes okay and um you don't the only way you get there is by sitting in jail and waiting for a bed to open up so i spent thanksgiving christmas and new years of 2007 in jail and then got there on january 2nd of 2008 and thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me and it was the best thing that ever happened to me I remember because my parents had tried everything. They had tried everything with me and and I refused every everything. And I remember calling my lawyer and asking him to call my parents and tell them that I'm going to treatment and I'm okay with it. And so they were relieved and and I never expected to get to a point in my life where my parents would be happy that I'm in jail. Mm-hmm. But they were because mm-hmm. they knew I was safe. Yeah. And that's really, really sad when you look at the big picture, you know? Mm-hmm. There were some some ladies that carried the message that came out there, and that was what uh, got me, you know, connected to the steps, mm-hmm. which saved my life. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. You were saying that you um, had such a great childhood and all of these things. Did you experience the spiritual malady at a young age? Yes. What did that look like? So I... Probably the biggest thing and the biggest change is self-pity mm. because I, and, and what's funny, but not funny is that I was kind of a born martyr, but I didn't really have anything to be a martyr about, <laughs> <laughs> but I was just a born victim. I mean, just every, I mean, I, my, one of my earlier memories, I remember it was my birthday party. I want to say maybe I was, it was my sixth birthday. And we had, I had my mom threw a party and we had friends over to my house and we played a game where we tied a balloon to our ankles mm-hmm. and you had to stomp on other people's balloons. And the last person with the unpopped balloon won. And I was one of the first ones out. And I remember running upstairs and throwing myself on the bed, bawling, just a wreck. And I, I mean, I was just always in self-pity and I can never do anything right nobody likes me and I mean if somebody would honk at me driving I would burst into tears I mean just pathetic (laughs) uh so I know you said that like whenever you didn't start drinking alcoholically right away but did you have that feeling that I hear a lot of people have when they take their first drink of all of that dissipating I guess uh, yes. You yes. had the ease and comfort? I mean, it was definitely, it was definitely a priority to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in high school, I would drink occasionally at parties, but my parents were strict. Mm. So I really, and, and honestly, like I was afraid of my mom, probably still am a little bit. <laughs> no, I'm not, but I'm joking. But you know, I wasn't, I never wanted to disappoint my parents. And so I would only do what I could get away with. Uh. It's always fascinating to me when I meet people that just like tell their parents like this is how it's going to be and that like cuz I never that had was me. Oh my gosh. I mean, I just I never would have had the nerve for that. Oh. Never. I think about like if my I hope to god I don't have that experience with my daughter. She's 13. Oh boy. And I was just a complete terror at age 14. Yeah. And I was like that. I was just like, this is... You just set the rules. I was out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk to my mom, you're welcome to. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hopefully it doesn't... I don't have to, but it's definitely terrifying to me. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. I I mean, when my mother would wait up for me in high school, 
and she would hug me and she would smell my hair to see if it smelled like cigarettes and she would check my pupils to see if they were really? dilated and I you know it wasn't worth it so how did you feel then like whenever you did cross that line into active alcoholism since you've lived your whole life with not wanting to disappoint them I mean how right. was how was that I assume that that I mean it's already shameful but like did that how did that feel well it was easier because I was living states away on my own. Mm. So, you know, for for a number of years, I could get away with it. Um, and they, they had no idea until things just got so... Like when I started going to jail and I started not being able to pay my bills and, and things like that, that was when it was just too obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really couldn't get away with it anymore. The shame of disappointing them. I mean, to have them come see me through glass at Lou Starrett in downtown Dallas, like that is, that was mortifying. Yeah. Mortifying. I bet. But I also knew that, you know, so much of of my younger, my, you know, pre-recovered life was about what things look like mm. and how I, what I'm presenting to the world. And, and that was important. And so it got to the point where it was like, that doesn't matter because I'm going to die. Yeah. So this is bigger than that. So do you think you still have, you know, like the stage character that you want to present to the world? Do you still, I know you said that's like what your pre-recovered life looked like. Have you been free of that in your recovered life? Um, To a point. (laughs) I think that that that's something I I still struggle with on occasion. You know, I, I, and Luckily, I have a way to 10-step that, yeah. <laughs> and I'll catch it, mm-hmm. because I can spot that, you know, if someone asks me, like, for, well, what do you do? I can answer that a few different ways. You know, I can just say I work at this place, or I can say a title. Right. You know? Yes. Uh, I can make sure to drop in that I have a college degree. I can try to, you know, there's different mm-hmm. things that I grew up with that I can be sure to mention that I was raised doing this or that, you know, and things like that that... I'll catch myself mm-hmm. and um, and it's something that I've grown in, but I still have room to grow for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, definitely that's one of the freedoms that we get in the program is, you know, like not to be so consumed with the stage character that I present to the world, but I can still fall Right. back into that too you sure. know I mean even working at the Magdalene house like I can I love my job I love this organization I'm very proud of the work that I do but I can take that from like a God-centered view to I work at the Magdalene house mm-hmm. and we're the only ones that do it right you know right yeah <laughs> I don't mean that by the way um but you know like getting to that, that uh, pride. Fr- yeah mm-hmm. that pride and um but being able to recognize that is is really cool. Yeah, I, and honestly, I would say probably the biggest the biggest change for me, and besides the fact that I find myself in self pity, I mean, the fourteen years I've been recovered, a handful of times, truly, a handful. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, that's amazing for yeah. someone that lived in that every single day. Absolutely. And the other thing is just not caring so much what people think. How did you get to that point? You know, I wish I, well, I know, I know logically how it happened, but it's one of these God things. So I don't know, you know, of Mm -hmm. course I don't know what exactly what God did, but like I, I could be out pre old Hannah in the dark days, as I call him, I could be out with some girlfriends and someone could say something to me that just would destroy me. Mm. Uh, And, and of course I, I surround, I mean, this is even before I was drinking alcoholically, I surrounded myself with women that, you know, probably weren't you know, truly good friends mm-hmm. or really nice people, mm-hmm. but they were cool. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's gone. That's gone. That, that care about what everybody thinks that has been removed. And I, and, and when I look at it, I know what happened is that instead of, you know, through my fourth and fifth step and then steps eight and nine, I got a real clear picture that I was relying on all these people surrounding me mm-hmm. for my self-esteem my confidence, all of that stuff that can really only be filled by God. Right. And so once I I worked the steps, took the action, my my those 
holes in me were filled by God and that's how it disappeared. Now, how it works beyond that is, you know, obviously I don't know how God works is magic, but Mm -hmm. it worked. Now, all I did was just follow the steps because that's all I knew to do was follow direction. Yeah. What a gift though. Oh my gosh. Because that is such bondage to live in that. It is. Exhausting. And even in recovery, you know, I think, um, Early on when I was, uh, you know, like year one, two, three, there were a group of women that, you know, all had the same couple of sponsors and, and there, there was a lot of comparison. How many people are they sponsoring? How many women are they sponsoring? And where are they go? How many places are they, you know, taking each other's inventories, Mm -hmm. as we say. Uh, And it's easy to do that, Mm -hmm. especially when that's what we've always done. Yeah. But I didn't, I mean, I never really got too caught up in that. I just really didn't care. That's awesome. Yeah. That is amazing for someone like me. Yeah. Because I always care. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. I remember my sponsor told me this and I always talk about this because it was so just like mind blowing to me. But when I first started working here, I was like, I would compare myself to the meeting chairs that came in and I would get so like insecure about like, oh, what if I say something wrong or somebody doesn't like my meeting and all this other stuff. And my sponsor told me, she said, when you're comparing, she's like, when you're comparing yourself, you're either better than or less than. And there's no humility in that and there's no God in that. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I love that. Yeah. That is it. Yeah. That sums it up right there. I know. Because that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm looking like, am I better than them or am I worse than them? Am I better than them or am I worse than them? Yeah. And I'm hoping that I'm better. (laughs) Right. Right. But you're just different. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, so you were talking about like, you know, getting to the steps and I assumed that you, did you do them pretty quickly or? I did uh, as much as I could do while I was at Wilmer, but Basically, I mean, I, it wasn't easy to 10 step when I was there and mm-hmm. I couldn't make many amends except for women that I lived with. Mm-hmm. So the minute I got out, I was in, you know, doing nine and 10, 11 and 12. So did you come to Wilmer with the complete willingness and desperation or did that no. come? That's, that's a good story. Okay, so awesome. um, there were ladies that would come out and do a big book study. There were ladies that would come out really several nights of the week, every single week from different groups. There were all kinds of different groups. And there was a group of ladies that would do a big book study. And that was my least favorite meeting because it was so boring. And then there were other ladies that would come out and we could talk about ourselves. Oh, that's always And that was my favorite (laughs) because, you know, I had so much to add and a lot of valuable things to say. I'm saying that very sarcastically. Yeah. Um, nobody should have ever let me speak anywhere, but (laughs) that was my favorite. But there was, there was one night that the ladies came out to read, to do the big book study and they were reading the story about the man of 30 and they were talking about how, you know, he, he decided that he would quit drinking because he's noticing some problems with it. So he's going to quit drinking until he retires and at age 55, he retires and out come the slippers and a bottle. And he started drinking and it was like he had never quit and he tried every way to stop and he couldn't and he was dead within four years. And I remember sitting and I'd probably been there for a couple months and I remember thinking, "Uh oh, I'm in trouble because that was my plan. Uh... I will quit. I will go through. I will get do everything I need to do for the courts and make everybody happy with all of that. And then once all of this is done. I'm going back to drink again Mm -hmm. because I just couldn't picture life without it. Mm -hmm. And that was the night I was like, I might be in trouble. I'm going to be in trouble because that's me. Mm -hmm. And that was when I asked one of them to sponsor me. What a God thing though, right? Mm -hmm. That like he was able to speak to you through that story and you were there and in that moment all things aligned. Because usually I would space out, you know, and like go into a little fantasy world or I wouldn't even hear what they were reading. So yeah. the fact that I even heard it was a miracle. Wow. Yes. So when you discovered that, that's whenever you asked the woman to sponsor you mm-hmm. and you started working the steps, was that, I'm assuming that was your first time ever working the yes. steps? Okay. Was that your first time trying to get sober? So that's another good question. I always would have said yes. But the honest to goodness truth is that 
I would try to quit every day and I or try to get sober every day and I couldn't Mm. but I didn't think that that for a long time I didn't think that counted right because I thought you know you had to have a week or a month to actually have a relapse Mm -hmm. but I was a daily relapser Mm. so uh, but I certainly every single day was like okay today's the day Mm. not gonna drink today and I couldn't do it I'm glad you um, specified that because there is, I mean, I think a lot of people who probably think that too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or think that trying to stop, it means going to treatment somewhere or right. something like that. And don't consider all the times that yeah. we try to stop before we even get to treatment. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. we think, you know, that's when we don't really understand step one. Because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I, I'm deciding, like, I think I'm changing my mind. Right. Like, I'm deciding that I'm not going to drink today. And then you know, something happens and I think, well, I'll, you know, tomorrow I'm the, and I thought that was my problem. I didn't think my problem was, was drinking. I thought my problem was procrastination Mm. because I'll do it tomorrow Mm -hmm. and I'm just a procrastinator and tomorrow never comes. Right. Mm. Well, I, I might be, I actually am (laughs) really good at procrastinating, but that wasn't the issue with this. Mm. So that was like your first time doing the steps. How was your how was your experience with with that? I know it's kind of hard to like put into words like what happened. Oh yeah, I can put it into words. All right, go for <laughs> it. Okay. So step one, I I didn't really understand. I mean, really, a lot of the steps at that point in time, and and that one of the things that I always try to emphasize to people when they start sponsoring is that if someone has the willingness, but they don't really like it's not connecting, that's okay. Yeah. Because yes. that was me. Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff, like, I just was like, yeah, I'm, I have a problem. But I didn't really understand the problem. Right. I kind of did. But, like, I was foggy. Mm-hmm. And and the comprehension just wasn't there. And then you have people who can totally comprehend everything and intellectualize it, but not, exp- like, not have the heart or the, exp- right. the experience of it. Yeah. Yeah. I never understood that because I, I could not get it in my head. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, some people do. Mm-hmm. So I knew that, it, that, you know, step one explained the problem. I didn't really understand it, but I knew that I was going to die. And um, I knew that my sponsor had been as bad as I was, and now she's not. So that was, you know, okay, this might work. So when we got to step two, I thought that I was, I, and I kind of confused step two with step 12. So I thought I already had to be there and have this understanding and under, like get God mm-hmm. or this power or whatever and I didn't and and I was um, I was really cynical about God extremely cynical about God so my sponsor was like you don't have to that's fine you don't even have to say that you believe you can just give a maybe and that's good enough and and I was like you know she is the scale like zero is an atheist 100 is the most spiritually enlightened person in the world you don't even have to move off of zero for step two and I was like I thought I was being like you know I was gonna you know blow her mind I was like well I'm about a one and she's like great let's move on I'm like really I mean I was expecting before that that I would have to lie yeah and say oh yeah God and I are like this and we have you know I get it and everything you know and I didn't Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't ever say that I didn't believe in God because that felt a little risky to me but I had no understanding. I had no comprehension. Really, the truth of the matter was that even from being a young child, I always desired a connection. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think I was capable of it. Yeah, I relate to that a lot. I always had this like longing and this seeking. Yes. Part of me. Like I remember being a little kid and I had a kid's Bible, which I don't know, like it had a pretty cover, but it was still the same wording. Mm-hmm. which is impossible. Like I was like eight years old. You can't read that. Yeah. And I remember sitting in my room and trying to read it and understand it. And I, of course I couldn't, mm-hmm. but I desired that. Mm-hmm. So my sponsors, you know, I was kind of like, you know, it might work, it might not, but I'm willing to give it a shot. And that was my step two. So um, in step three, she told me that I'm just making a decision to do the work. And I don't really know how to, it, it was, it always cracked me up in, in treatment at Wilmer. They would, um, there were women that would raise their hand and they would say, well, I gave God my will and then I took it right back. And I would raise my hand and say, how did you do the first part? <laughs> did you really? Yeah. 
That's awesome. And they can never answer because it's just something that they heard someone else say in a meeting. And, you know, that's so much of what we do is regurgitating, which sometimes is great. But in that instance, it's not really helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, It certainly wasn't to me because I didn't get it. And so um, my sponsor told me I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about that. Just are you going to move on? Are you going to are you going to make a commitment in the third step prayer to this God of your understanding or not understanding and me that you're going to do this to the best of your ability, like your life depends on it or not? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to. Yeah. So I uh, I put the same effort that I did towards my drinking, which up until that point was the only thing that I ever put 100 percent into. I mean, I was half measures with everything, school, jobs, relationships, everything, half measures. So, so now I'm going to give it my all. And then I got busy with four and five, which the fifth step was probably really where things started to change for me. And I started to see the power. Mm. I thought my sponsor was going to... I was going to read my four step and she'd be like, oh, you poor thing. Oh, same. Yeah. 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 It's not like I even have bad things on it. Like <laughs> I've had a decent, you know, a charmed life. And so, but I thought she'd be like, oh yeah, that sucks. Like, yeah. And it's not at all how it went at all. And she was kind of tough, which is exactly what I needed. Exactly. So how was that though? Like being like as sensitive as you were, no. right? And like you know, crying if somebody, you know, oh, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. How was it then having a sponsor that was so tough? Yeah, that's, how, well, so I'll, I'll tell you how the first line item in my fifth step went. Okay. And then, and, I mean, it was just truth after truth. And so I had on there, uh, the, my number one resentment was my mother and the reason was because she tried to control my life. And I was 35 when I got sober. So there was a lot to that, but that was all I wrote down. And so my, my sponsor, I don't know how she did this without laughing at me, but she did. And she said, okay, so your mother tries to control your life. And she started asking me questions. She said, now, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 35. And she said, and how do you support yourself? And I said, well, I, you know, this is while I'm in Wilmer and I said well I don't have a job right and how where do you live and I said well I had to give up my apartment because I'm here Uh uh-huh and why are you here and I said well because I violated my probation and you know they the judge decided this is what I needed okay do you think there's any chance that instead of trying to control your life your mother was trying to save your life Mm. and I'm like huh and then she said, do you think there's any chance that if you would have acted like an adult, your mother would have treated you like one? Wow. Yeah. And I was like, huh, maybe. I like the questions beforehand. Yeah. To get you thinking. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there, there's no denying it. I mean, there, there was no, and maybe that was God working in me in that moment because there was no self-pity in, in any of that. I'd really, I really hadn't been in self-pity since I'd gotten there. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I knew I was lucky. I knew I was blessed. So, uh, to give that opportunity and to not have to, you know, spend, spend my parents' retirement Mm. to send me to a place to save my life. And so she was right. And I had been trying to, uh, to blame my family Mm -hmm. and if they would have done things differently, then I would have been okay. There was there was one time where I had gone to some sort of a therapist or counselor with my parents. They were in town and we went together and there was like they were some sort of an addiction specialist or something. And I, I don't remember how it came up, but it came up where this doctor asked my mom because my mom had some complications when she was delivering me mm-hmm. uh, and they asked her this guy asked her if she had been given a certain medication and and the conclusion I don't know what it was or any of that but the conclusion was that we walked out of there with is that mothers that are given that medication during childbirth their kids turn out to be alcoholics and addicts nice yeah did she take that medication yeah it was something they'd given her during oh. 
the issues trying to deliver me. And so she just took that on, I like bet. it's all my fault. Yeah. And and I'm like, yeah, it's your fault. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and so. There's your trump card. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that fifth step, you know, people always say they come out feeling pretty low because you get such a clear picture. And, and I get that. But I came out feeling, I was so happy because so for the I. first time I could take responsibility mm-hmm. instead of trying to blame people that I love. Yeah. And there was so much freedom in that. Mm-hmm. And I could say, you know, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Mom, that is not your fault. That is not your fault. Uh, I they, bet. I mean, they did nothing. I'm, you know, I'm sitting there in a place with, with women who had childhoods very different from mine. And, and I, I never, I always had self-awareness of that. Like I was never snobby or, you know, holier than thou ever my parents did teach me that and that sunk in but I I was very aware that compared to a lot of these women I had it so good Mm -hmm. I don't have any abuse from my childhood I was raised in a loving home I was encouraged to get my education and to succeed in whatever I wanted to do you know Mm -hmm. I mean that's something Mm -hmm. and so for me to to be trying to blame them for this disease and then to finally actually see that it's not them it's me was so freeing yeah coolest thing ever that's awesome yeah are you or someone you know struggling with the inability to stop drinking At the Magdalene House, we believe that alcoholic women deserve a place to recover with dignity. In our two-week residential program, clients will be introduced to what alcoholism is and what alcoholism isn't, as well as be presented with a solution, all in a loving and supportive environment. All of our programs are at absolutely no cost, and because we accept no government money, we can accept women all over the world and stick to our own curriculum. If you want to stop drinking and cannot, call 214-324-9261 for a phone screen. I had a really good experience with my fist up. Really? Yeah. I mean, like the way that like I put it into words is just kind of like when the ego is deflated, right? Because that's like, that's what happens. Like it makes room for God and like God who is all love just like pushed that like hate and resentment like out of me yeah because i lived in victimhood all the time yeah and justified resentment and so like i totally get down with that and that is exhausting way to live it really is (laughs) yeah like i don't ever want to live that way ever again and isn't it funny that like we don't see the connection like i would always be like why did these things happen to me did you be were you like oh, that? Oh yeah, for and sure. And I never figured out that I was the common denominator in everything. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yes, I remember meeting with one of my sponsors. In our first meeting, I was like telling her like a, about my mom, and my mom's the reason why I am the way that I am, and why I drink so much. And she like laughed at me, <laughs> and I was so offended. Um, but now I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Know? So that's so funny. Yeah. Okay, so you talk about, I'm trying to just think of, I have like a billion questions that go on in my mind at once sometimes, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, you talk about the self-pity going away and not caring what people think, and, oh, I know one of the things that I want to ask you, and this is a total self-seeking question, so they might take it out, I don't know. You're married, right? I am. When did you get married? Oh, this is good, too. Okay, no, good. that's good stuff, <laughs> yeah, uh, because the funny thing is that I, did, I got married at age 37. Okay. And that was the first guy I ever lived with. And and so from the dark days, you know, like I dated a lot. And every single relationship was, quote unquote, the one. Mm-hmm. Fate. It, what's so funny to me is that I would say, like, I wasn't sure if I believed in God. But I was just knew that fate had entered my life in every relationship. Which is so, like, I didn't see the irony of that. But we actually dated before, like, he didn't know I hid my alcoholism from him. He just... Oh, really? Yeah. He just kind of knew that I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And 
and he stuck it out with me. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. He wow. stuck it out with me and he would he would come How did you guys meet? We met through a work thing. Okay. Long time ago when I still had a job. So were you in Wilmer while you were dating him? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I like, um, I think I wrote him a letter or I called him the last time I was in jail. Like every other time I would go to jail, I'd be able to hide it from him because we weren't, you know, we weren't living together and, you know, we didn't see each other every day. So it wasn't, if I was gone for a day or two, he mm-hmm. wouldn't notice. So I told him everything and I said, you know, I think you would, I think you would like me if you knew the real me, but you never have. And so he would come visit me. And then at Wilmer, he took these like family classes. Wow. And he uh, he has a tr- pickup truck that has a loud engine on it. And so he would, um, he would pull up sometimes to like bring me property or, you know, if I needed something or he would come to do the classes. And it was right by where the building I was in. And so everyone in there would be like, Anna, he's here. And I, so now it's funny because he still has that truck and I will have like a visceral reaction when I hear it coming down the street. I'm like, oh, but yeah, he's a, so I, um, I was not a good girlfriend. I was not capable of being in a healthy relationship until I worked, worked the steps. Oh, I mean, same. Yeah. Well, the reason why I was asking is because I heard you say you got sober at 35 Mm -hmm. and I was like. Um, well, like, because I'm about to be 34, and I'm having this, like, existential crisis, and I'm just going to be alone forever. Oh, yeah. And so I need, I wanted to, I was like, tell me I don't have to be alone forever. There's still room for me to meet someone. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. And and the funny thing is, you know, I when I was younger, I had all these, like, I had requirements, right? Like, the... I was never going to marry someone that had kids or he had to have this kind of a job or this, you know, he had to look a certain way. And my husband is, is, has two grown kids actually, who I'm, I get along great with. They live on the East coast. We have a great relationship, but he, you know, he didn't check any of my previous boxes, but he is perfect for me. Absolutely perfect for me. My family loves him. We're, I mean, I, we're soulmates, you know. He's he's the best guy in the world for me. So how was that, the repairing of that relationship? And how did that happen? How did... Yeah, I mean, so I lived with him when I got out of Wilmer. And I remember uh, at one point I was I was pressuring him for a ring. Mm. So gross. It's even It's so embarrassing to say that, but I was. And I remember him finally just having enough and like being like, stop, like you have to be doing good. Like, I want you to be doing good for a year before we even have that conversation and kind of put me in my place. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, he's right. Um, But also because he was there before and after, he's never had an issue with my schedule. I was gonna, that was gonna be another thing that I asked. Yeah, Um, and and he's been very involved in, you know what he get he was on the board yeah. here for a long time and loves the Magdalen house and so he had no problem with you having to take time away to go to meetings and carry no, the message and all that because he saw the change in me wow. he saw the change in me and and then he was able to you know the the steps and the principles I mean it says that our program works for anyone mm-hmm. and he's he's studied it with me and and gone to hear speakers with me and has he done the steps no, but I mean, he's applied the principles to his life. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. Well, I was asking because we have that, brec- we have this breakfast club thing where they an- interview an alcoholic and a family member. Mm-hmm. But I think the requirement is the family member has to go through the steps because I was going to be like, you guys would be perfect. Yeah. He's, yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> Not so much, huh? Yeah. He's kind of more like the, his his motto is everyone's on a needs to know basis and no one needs to know anything. Ah. And it's funny because I'm the exact opposite. Like I tell everybody everything about whatever they want to know about me. Yeah. So yeah, it's I'm kind the of same funny. way too. Yeah. It's I mean whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's living out loud, right? Yes, and you know the crazy thing is is like I hear some of the stuff that I say like live on a podcast where like <laughs> anybody in the world can listen to it, and. I used to like this would be in sobriety 
where I thought that I had to portray this like misrecovered who didn't think like this anymore and didn't have these thoughts or act this way. And, and I hear some of the things that I say out loud for the whole world to hear. And I would have died if even like somebody thought that at all of me. Oh yeah. And now there's just like so much more freedom that is like, this is who I am. Yeah. I'm still a mess sometimes. Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah. Which I wanted to ask you though, have you ever struggled in your time in sobriety? Like, have you had any low spots or anything like that? And yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know anyone that hasn't. Mm-hmm. If they're if they're being honest, that because that's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know, God is revealed through pain. Mm. That's when we grow. The really cool thing about that is that now, if I'm going through something or if I'm struggling with something I know that there'll be growth on the other side and so that makes it a little bit easier sometimes Mm -hmm. sometimes when I'm just in the middle of it I'm like this just sucks and I just want it to end but absolutely I was I was thinking about that when I was filling out those that little document that you Mm -hmm. sent over that you know I heard someone at our meeting recently say that that the book and the steps are the same for someone that is brand new and someone that has 30 years. Mm-hmm. There's not different instructions. Mm-hmm. And and the, the self-manifesting and the selfishness, I'm, I'm always going to be battling that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see some women that I'm like, wow, they just seem so spiritual and so peaceful. And, and, and maybe that's, I, I highly imagine that they still struggle against selfishness too. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it just seems that way that they don't. But I mean, I it's a it's a daily thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just me in my natural state, right? And it always will be. I'll always be battling that. Yeah, I like how you said like now you know there's going to be growth on the other side because like I was recently broken up with, which it's. Ugh. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's like we weren't even together for very long and all this other stuff. But I'm like, eh. yeah. Um, and but I remember talking to my sponsor the day that it happened. And I was like, you know, the good thing about this is I know I'm going to get closer to God, yes. which is insane. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like before, like unrecovered, I would have been like, OK, like what guy do I need to talk to? What guy's going to give me attention? How am I going to get drunk? Like what am I going to do to fill this hole? What am I going to do? And then my first thought this time is I'm going to get closer to God. That's amazing. I know. It's psychic change, right? Yeah. It's because trouble. I mean that like going through breakups, like that was very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And that self-pity. Mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, I just know that. Like it was even though you think like self-pity, well, that's not fun. Like why would you? But it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable in that. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. That's pretty darn cool. Yeah. Yeah. And now, I mean, last night I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm going to get closer to God. Last night I was like, well, this sucks and yeah. I'm going to be alone forever. Right. <laughs> you won't. But, but, you know, it's like having, like you said, that battling, that that selfishness. Right. That still shows up. Yeah. You know. And it's in everything. It's, mm-hmm. it's little things. It's, you know, on a Sunday afternoon and I'm a laying on the sofa about to fall asleep but like because I've wanted to take a nap all weekend and here it is and my phone rings Mm. Mm -hmm. you know it's it's and sometimes I I'm not saying that I always answer it because Mm -hmm. sometimes I fail at that and Mm -hmm. that's something that that I have to strive to be better at Mm -hmm. um I mean that's just the tiniest little example but But there's like a thousand Uh, yeah but it's so true or you know like having a meeting scheduled with a sponsee and I'm preoccupied with work and I know I have to leave at a certain time if I'm going to meet her, but I really want to like finish this thing that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And it's like, which one am I going to do? You know, Lisa would probably die if she would ever say, if she, if I ever blew off a sponsor to finish something here. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but like, it's just those, like the, like you said, that selfishness that shows up in in various ways every day it is and and the funny thing about with work what I've seen in myself the last couple of years is that when I am feeling like if there's another area of my life that is feeling out of control I throw myself into work same yeah yeah it's distraction yeah exactly mm-hmm. exactly I'm really good at that yeah and it's not it, and sometimes it takes me a while to see it yeah well work Mm-hmm. is a great uh, 
segue into what Lisa wanted me to ask you. So you've had the same job since 2008, correct? Right. That's I'm not at least the same company, probably not the same job. Right. But um, tell us about that. Yeah. So so um, that's a good story too. So uh, when I was at Wilmer, they would let the last two months you could uh, they changed this, but when I was there, the last two months you could get a job. And through a connection, I got this job. And so I would have to take a van, two trains, and a bus to get there from Wilmer, you know, to Addison, basically, every day. And then once I got out of there, I had all this stuff going on that, you know, classes and that. Anyway, this guy was super cool about it. And first, like, I was probably... I'd probably been at like out of Wilmer less than a year, but probably close to a year. Cause that's always like every job I had previously, I would stay a year and then I would quit mm-hmm. mostly because like they were catching on to <laughs> that. I'm not who they thought I was and that I'm, they're not really getting their money's worth out of me. So I was to that point. And part of my job was to cold call and set appointments. And I hate doing that. I'm not a good sales, but like, I just, I hate bothering people. It's not something that comes natural to me. So I decided that I was going to quit. But now, because I'm living on a spiritual basis, what I'll do is I will give plenty of notice and I will stay and help train the new person. Mm -hmm. And so um, after meeting one night, I talked to my sponsor and I ran my big idea by her. And she said, absolutely not. And I was just kind of floored, like, who does she think she is to tell me this? And she said, this guy took a chance on you, and he hired you when you were not very employable. So people have to do things in their job that they don't always like. That's part of being an adult. So tomorrow you're going to go in, you're going to pick up that phone, and you're going to smile and dial. I love that she said that. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, you know okay but I'm flipping her off in my head like I was so like who does she think she is but I and there were so many times that I would always in my head say who does she think she is but I never acted on that and I always went home and and slept on it and prayed on it and what I didn't know is that the man I was working for has an insane ability to figure out what people's strengths are Mm -hmm. and then move them towards that lisa has that ability oh my gosh it's so it's so great so that's what he did so i didn't have to do that anymore smile and dial and he moved me more into customer relations and building relationships with existing customers and he he was always so supportive he's not in the program really didn't know anything about uh recovery but we would just have these talks about it and, and he is a seeker. Yeah. You know, he's always trying to seek a, a connection or a, a betterment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so much of that, you know, interacts with what I would be doing. Um, so we would just have amazing talks about that kind of stuff. For my 11th year, he introduced me. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. It was so cool. He's like a brother I never had. Wow. Um, and our families are close and and that had to have been like an inspired thought that came from God for her to tell you that. Oh yeah. I mean, cause I mean, that's what I always do. You know, it's been a year. I need to go somewhere else. And, and that would have just been a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's me running on self-will. Yeah. And yeah, for her to, to tell me to stop and just, you know, appreciate what I've got. I mean, thank God. Yeah. Because that's the best job I've had. And I love it. I love it. Yeah. How amazing. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's like kind of what you get by just doing something as simple as like trusting God and taking sponsor direction. Right. Whether you agree with it. That's my big 10-step story is that right there. Really? Yeah. Uh, Life-changing. Yeah. It is Mm life-changing. That's so good. Yeah. Well, do you have this same sponsor today as you did then? No. No? Mm-hmm. Do you still have a relationship with that sponsor who told you to stay at that job? Um, I haven't talked to her in a couple of years. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. I was saying, well, how like I don't think cool- she she's she's left doing oh, okay. the program. I was say yeah. if she could like see where it is I now. Know. How cool would that I be? Know. You know? Yep. Wow. What does life look like today? 
Oh, it's just so beautiful. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, it is. There's so many, so many great things. So a couple years ago, so my, my parents were living in Florida and I guess it's been about two and a half years. Um, Hurricane Michael went through and just decimated where they lived. So um, they got very, very lucky, uh, but very minimal damage to their house. They were home. They it was the only time they didn't evacuate. Um, across the street, houses matchsticks, mm-hmm. and they couldn't get out, and we couldn't get to them. Uh, my sister lives in Ohio, and then my husband and I are here. So after that, we were. And, and they were, you know, my mom, my dad's going to be 90 next month and uh-huh. my mom's 85. And so we were like, you need to be near one of us. And they were done with winters. I grew up in Nebraska, so they mm-hmm. were done with that. So they decided to come to Dallas. And so they moved here. It's been almost exactly two years, a little over. Literally the, the weekend that we were just putting everything away in their, in their place, um, that Monday was the stay-at-home order with COVID. Mm. Oh, wow. So they uh, were kind of locked down and I, I would do all their grocery shopping and like wave to them through the fence and whatnot. But, and the funny thing about this is that I'm the baby. Like my sister is eight years older than I am. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm the baby and, and it was hard to change that because now it's like, I'm the one that's helping and, and our relationship has changed especially you know my mom is it's easier for her to lean on me Mm -hmm. my dad you know he's he's a pilot in the air force like tough guy you know super smart and for him to have to rely on me has not been easy but we've gotten there like that relationship has completely changed where I am trustworthy and I also think that they knew that I was responsible and capable now but maybe it was because of my husband Mm. And so once they got here and they actually like they it it's genuinely they know it's me. And that's so cool. Mm-hmm. So after everything that they've done for me, now I get to do that for them. How awesome. And to be the person that is reliable and always shows up and always says, you know, I mean, I'm the one that's coordinating with their doctors and like their doctors call me to schedule appointments because I'm the one that'll take them and I mean, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. They come over. We have dinner all the time. I mean, it's just like I left. I went away to school for college when I was 18. So um, we haven't lived in the same city since then. Wow. And so it's really, really cool. That's awesome. Um, so I get to do that. And then, um, you know, I love my job and I'm my my marriage is awesome I mean of course it's not perfect but like it's pretty darn perfect it's still hard sometimes to be Mm -hmm. with someone that isn't in the program so if you end up meeting someone that isn't in the program and it gets serious let me know and we'll talk all right cool um you know it's just like I have to practice the principles and he mostly will but he doesn't have to right yeah and so um like there's times where it can be hard because like I will make amends and you know i'm like and now he should be saying what he is sorry for and he doesn't and i'm like i have such a like i was dating this guy for a little bit and um i like acted some type of way that i owed an amends Uh, for and i went over to his apartment and i remember thinking he's probably never had anybody do this before he's gonna be so (laughs) blown away i love that (laughs) by like you know and it was like didn't go that way at all you know and i'm like you know yeah yeah exactly but there's my self-seeking motive I know yeah I know and being like aren't now exactly what you said like aren't you gonna now apologize for what you did nope well and that's the one thing where like I there will be things that happen I know that I should 10 step about it but if I do then I can't act the way that I want to act mm-hmm and that's like that's where I play games. That's where I I'm manipulative. I'll give the silent treatment. I mean, it's you know, oh, we're human. It's ugly. Yeah, yeah we are. Um, we absolutely are. Yeah. But you know, and the the funny thing too that I was gonna say about the work thing is that it's I work with all guys, and the funniest thing about it is that there will be drama, but it's never me. 
Nice. Like it's always the guys. Uh, I mean, I'm never, it's so funny. Uh, so people that say that men don't have drama, uh-uh. I can give you plenty of examples of how that is not the case. But I've learned to, if I make a mistake, I will, hey, I made a mistake. Or I, or I need to, I'm so sorry about this. Mm-hmm. I own it immediately. And that is. That's also a gift. It is. Because it is. it's bondage to want to be perfect yes or to try to pretend that you're perfect right so oh, it's yeah such a and that's how it was you know in the dark days for sure yeah I could never say I was I made a mistake yeah it's so it's so liberating liberating to be able to say that mm-hmm. and I make a lot of them mm-hmm. a lot of them same <laughs> yeah well this has been wonderful we're at the top of the hour um is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to talk about? I mean, so many things and nothing that I can think of, right? <laughs> That's how I yeah. feel right now, too. Because um, I figured I was going to ask you something about – actually, no, I am going to ask you this today because this is just kind of a – I told you we were planning a, a workshop before you got here, mm-hmm. and it's about keeping your recovery first. Yes. So how do you do that today? I, so, and that's interesting because I think after COVID, it's been hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think of what my schedule looked like, you know, just my weekly schedule before we, everything moved to home, you know, before March of 2020, mm-hmm. five nights a week, I'm out doing the deal. You know, I'm working all day and then I'm going out to my meetings and I'm going early to meet with a protege and then I'm going to carry the message. Like, I'm out. And then that happened. And, you know, of course, we all moved to Zoom and whatnot, but it's different. Mm-hmm. And then now it, I have found myself because, like, my home group, we would meet three times a week and now we're two times a week. And I would find myself, um, and before I was there three times a week and now I'll be like well I went once I've gone once this week and I you know it I mean I just it's so yeah because we got used to not doing anything right or not going out anywhere I yeah. Should say. yeah yeah and it's it's different to come you know I I can't stay up real late so if I come home and it's like nine o'clock like I need to be getting ready for bed and it just feels so late mm-hmm. and I and I don't know why it's hard Mm-hmm. So we, I actually just, we did a group inventory recently and I, I kind of was like, okay, I'm, I'm recommitting myself to this. So I've recommitted myself to show up and to everything that I need, I'm supposed to show up to. That's lovely. It is. Yeah. But it's ne- it, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. My life depends on it. And yeah. it's so easy to just slip away from that. It's so easy. Yeah. And that is dangerous for someone like me. Yeah, no, I have seen that a lot. I feel like it's COVID. We just all got used to not having to leave our house. Right. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned earlier that, like, in the beginning of your story, that you came to accept your fate, that you're probably just going to die from this thing. Mm -hmm. So going from that place, did you ever imagine that you were going to be able to, like, live a life that you're living today? How does that feel? Never. And I always thought, you know, when you've been in trouble with the law, like, that's hard, too, because Mm -hmm. you think, I'm not going to be afforded opportunity that I would have had had this not happened. And and that may be true to some extent. Like, there's certain places that I probably couldn't get an apartment. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's certain places that I probably wouldn't be hired. Uh, I really think anymore there's probably ways around that. But, like, we own a home, and it's way better than what I would have ever imagined. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. – it, I mean, I never would have imagined that my life would be as fulfilled as it is. Probably the biggest thing, and, and I didn't mention this earlier, and I know that you have people mention this anytime you interview them, but is having a purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's that I'm uniquely qualified to help other alcoholic women. And I remember being, like, mid-20s. I was living in Denver, and – I remember sitting on my sofa thinking, what do I want to do? Because I have, like, I wanted purpose so badly. I didn't quite know how to vocalize that, but I thought it needed to be with my job. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do I, like, 
because I, you know, artists, they seem to be really passionate, but I have no artistic ability. I can't even draw a stick person. Like, hey, that's out. And then teachers are really fulfilled, but I don't really like kids. So that might not be a good idea. I mean, it, you know, I, I just wanted that and now I have it. And so to be able to help other women and it took a while till I really actually saw it. I mean, it was a good few years of trying and trying and trying. And then finally, uh, having a couple women that stuck around and seeing the light go on in their eyes. And that, that's the miracle. Mm-hmm. It's the coolest thing. Yeah. It is the coolest thing. Definitely. Yeah. So have purpose is to huge. finally have it. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what is your favorite part in the book? I think I've marked it. Yes, I love this. This is in We Agnostics. Where it says, when we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? I love that. The first time I read it, it smacked me like a brick in the face because that was not what I thought before. Mm -hmm. I would pick and choose. Yeah. And, And that is... Uh, that's a really different way to look at it. It's what we have to do when mm-hmm. we get this program. I love that. Yeah. I just love that. And when you have those, like, God is everything experiences. Right. Like, that's amazing, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just so cynical about God that, like, I, you know, I would say when people would win, a, win the Super Bowl, they'd be like, I just want to thank God. I would be sitting on my sofa drinking Saying, like, God has time to worry about you and the stupid Super Bowl. Come okay, on. but I sometimes still think that sometimes. I'm like, right. why does God care if you won the Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe I, I mean, but the maybe he does. Yeah, I know. I, but I'm like, so you mean he wants you to win the Super Bowl more than that team over yeah. there? I mean, I, yeah, it doesn't really. But I'm not, like, cynical like you said. But sometimes I, I wonder. Well, I think it's really what they're saying to you know it's like the context of it uh-huh. maybe they're just thanking god for it all oh, the things in their yes, life but yeah that's probably like, it yeah yeah I yeah mean, get, hey. like i can't have this life without god kind of thing you hope right I, yeah i mean i know i can't yeah for it's sure. kind of like that when i hear people say i need a meeting mm. i'm always like oh it always makes me cringe because <laughs> i'm like do you need a meeting because you need to go take something from that me because the whole thing is about helping others mm-hmm. like that's the whole secret sauce so if you're saying I need a meeting because I'm gonna go and I'm gonna help and I want to greet and I want to see what I can how I can get out yeah, of myself. like I need to be helpful right yeah but that's usually not what people mean when no, they say that so that's not. one of those yeah that makes me cringe a little too I get a little judgy when I hear that I admit it yeah well yeah <laughs> Well, this has been fun. I hope yes. you've had such a great time. Oh, my time. gosh, such a great time. Okay, thank you good. for having me. Yes. You are a sweetheart. Well, thank you. Uh, well, before we wrap up, my question is just always, um, if you could leave the listeners with one takeaway, like if they were only going to hear this one thing, what would you want to make sure that they heard? No pressure. I w- uh, that is just one of those things that I absolutely cannot think of. Sure Give me like what? I don't know. Um, if it was about like getting sober or staying sober and you could only tell them like one thing. Okay. I, okay. I got one. All right. So I am, like I said earlier, I am innately selfish. So if, if it weren't worth my life being just my, like my life is awesome. If I weren't getting that out of it, I would have left long ago. Mm. So I promise you it's worth because I always thought people, I'd see people like me and I think they are such a liar. Uh, I figured that recovery was martyrdom. Like you just suffer through. And, and I promise I you that, that is not the case because if it were, I wouldn't still be doing it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I get so, my life is awesome. And, and if it weren't, you wouldn't be interviewing me for sure. Well, I think that's an amazing thing for somebody to hear. Okay, so, good. good. Well, thank you. I pulled yes, it off. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you have loved what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Rate us on Spotify. Your reviews help us reach more alcoholic women, which is ultimately what we are trying to do um, so they can hear experience, strength, and hope and know that they can recover. And also, all of the services we provide at the Magdalene House are free. And so the more this podcast gets out, the more women can know that. 
So um, we've actually gotten some people who have come to our programs because they heard this podcast. That's cool. I know. It's amazing, right? Yeah, it's an amazing place. Yeah. And so your review helps that. Um, Anyways, upload it to your Instagram story, share with a friend, all of the things. Um, And I will catch you guys on the next episode. Bye. podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.